Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome along to the Short Paul, a Rugby Pass podcast. Scotty Stevenson and Mills Muliaina here as we uh, head towards the final week of Super Rugby before the Test Match window. Millsy, lots to get through on the pod this morning, including the retirement uh, of a good mate of ours, Issa Nathewa, yeah. after an extraordinary career up in Leeds. So we're going to try and get hold of him, but I fear I might have screwed the time difference up here. And, uh, well, he's probably gone to bed, quite frankly. But anyway, that's uh, by the by, because we can still talk about him. Also... Sia Kulisi, named as the first black Springbok captain. Uh, we'll discuss that and what that might mean for Springboks and for rugby in South Africa. And uh, a lot more to get through besides, including the games coming up, a couple of local derbies from a New Zealand point of view. And uh, also some of the comments recently from All Blacks coach Steve Hansen regarding Sulky Sallies. Who's a Sulky Sally? Sallies. All that and more coming up on the short ball today. Uh, Millsy, let's start though by just looking back to the weekend and Friday night where the Crusaders faced the Hurricanes. It was a top-of-the-table clash. Uh, it was colder than an ex-wife's heart down there in Christchurch. <laughs> it was miserable, actually. Uh, and the Crusaders uh, came through the other side. And I thought, personally, it was a remarkable display of wet-weather footy. Master mastery of the conditions, really. Um, and the Hurricanes seemed to have no answer, which surprised me a little bit. Mm. What about for you? Yeah, I was... I was Definitely the same. And for me, I suppose the surprising part was the pressure that um, some of their very, well, their key players were put under. And, um, you know, they were sort of uh, made, you know, a few wrong decisions. But, you know, interesting to see uh, Razor Robinson mentioning that this is probably perhaps the, the best game he's probably. Uh, seen as boys play mm. and you've got to you know I think it, it, it must be right up there because you've got to remember all the players he out through not only injury but suspension and things like that but some of the guys that stood up yeah um, massive oh, it was huge so they did look the thing about it for me was uh, that they used that as motivation because uh there was talk around, certainly around the fans and around the media, that the Crusaders wouldn't be able to live with the Hurricanes mm. given the fact that they had a fleet of Ferraris in their back line. Well, here's a tip for you. If the team's got a fleet of Ferraris, keep them in the garage. Yes. That's how you beat them. And that's what the Crusaders did. I, I've never seen a coach happier than I saw Brad Moore. In fact, Brad Moore, mm. the assistant coach, the attack coach of the Crusaders, 
It was almost in tears after that game. Oh. That's how much it meant to the team wow. and how much it meant to him as a coach to see his boys overcome all of that talk, all of that doubt and, and go so deep in their squad to get the victory over the Canes. It was oh, great. You could talk about going deep into their squad. I mean, look at the guys that stood up. Uh, so, I mean, some of the you know, sort of unknown names uh, of, um, of rugby and now you're seeing big futures. So... Um, yeah, huge game, huge game, and the Crusaders top of the table. Now, I think we've got on the line here someone we need to speak to. Is that uh, the Great Eastern Athiwa? Hello, mate. How are you? Oh, there he is. That's wonderful. <laughs> we were just chatting Crusaders Hurricanes, and uh, I realised, Issa, that uh, I'd got my times all wrong and forgot you were only eleven hours behind, not twelve hours behind. So I've got you up very late, buddy. He was sulking, mate. <laughs> sulking, Sally. I was. <laughs> Hey, Millsy, how are you? Hey, buddy. <laughs> it is late. It's quarter past ten, but it's still daylight here, so it's not not a bad thing. Well, that's a good thing. Uh, Eastern Athena, let's set up this proposition because it is a great uh, pleasure to have you on the podcast with Millsy and I today. Um, congratulations on your playing career, mate, uh, to finish the way you did in such Issa fashion by blowing out a calf 20 minutes in to the Pro 14 final. I, I really, enjoy, I really, truly enjoyed that. Uh, mate, what a whirlwind fortnight it has been for you, though, Issa. Have you had a time just to let this all sink in, two titles in two weeks? Yeah, not yet, not yet. It's just, it's just been pretty, pretty chaotic, really. Um, like from the week off before Bill Bow to winning against Rushing, and then obviously trying to get the body right for Munster, and then this final. It was just haven't actually come up for for air yet, but I'm I'm guessing that might start tomorrow. There's young guys that are still. Still enjoying the moment, but I, I can't do that anymore, that's for sure. Yeah, I've seen photos of that creep James Lowe uh, out with uh, Fards and Jamison Gibson Park. I'm glad you're not with them, mate. That that could only go one way. Oh, if James was going one way, I was going the other way. <laughs> that, that was a good sign. Hey, mate, uh, I, know it's no, late f- yeah. I, I know it's late for you, but I, I did want to discuss, um, y- you know, what has been an extraordinary career. And we first crossed paths in 2007, mate, when uh, I think you'd change yourself to the keg with Brent Ward, having brought the Ramfilly Shield back home to Auckland. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> who, who would have thought that uh, 11 years later you'd be sitting there as, as one of the absolute legends of, of Irish rugby and European rugby? If you if you had to look back on, on how your career has developed what what was the biggest point for you the the one singular moment that set you on this course oh like obviously if I think back in hindsight I think the Auckland Wellington NPC final Mm. in 2003 was a big turning point for me because I was 24 third man, as there was only 22 back then, <laughs> didn't play, got asked to go to Fiji, and then the rest is history. Because like, if I didn't play two minutes and 38 seconds Fiji at the 2003 World Cup, I don't think I would ever have gone to Ireland. Mm. Um, and then don't think I would have ever have had the sort of chance to play for Auckland the way I did. So, mm. yeah, it's funny, how, it's funny how when you actually have time to sit back and reflect that you know, do things happen for a reason? Maybe they do. Yeah, I was writing about uh, your career this week on Rugby Pass, Ethan, and and I I put it to you that I 
I think there was a time where where that was maybe regrettable that you'd you'd had that two minutes for Fiji and and what that meant for you the ramifications of that, but I think now yeah. if you look back you wouldn't regret that at all would you? Not at all, not one bit. Like it's uh, you know as you sort of mature and you just grow up a bit. I don't think I had done that, but I think it just got to the point where it was like, well, you've just got to deal with it and move on, and then and then you know, chase the next chapter of your life. And and lucky for me, it was sort of, you know, a good part of 10 years over here in Ireland. So, um, yeah, definite, definite uh, you know, decisions as a young fella, you know, had a, a big impact on me for the back end of my career for sure. Yeah. EC, I mean, you spoke about um, getting the body right for, for last weekend and probably the weekend before that, but – you retired from the game. You came back to New Zealand. Um, you spent a bit of time being the, the mentor, I think, coach for um, the, the uh, Blues rugby team. I mean, yep. going back, I remember catching up with you there before I left Ireland. You know, what was your mentality there? Was the body sort of sweet? Because I honestly thought that you were going back there, you're going to play a season, and then you'd end up head coach. And obviously, you've kicked on, <laughs> and now you're probably yeah. the mayor of bloody Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, when I went back, when I, like I remember catching up with you at the RDS before, mm. and and like I knew even then, like I I knew my my body was in pretty good nick. Um, I hadn't sustained too many major injuries. Like I broke my arm the first week that I got up to Ireland in the mm. first game, and other other than that, I didn't really have too much wrong. But like even when I was back at the Blues, like it was a different environment, different time. Like I sort of knew that I could, I could keep going if I wanted to, but like I genuinely wasn't thinking of coming back to Ireland at all until, you know, a few text messages and a conversation just sort of snowballed out of control. And then I found my way back here, but I pretty much knew as soon as I think mentally I knew I could do it. Um, I wouldn't have come back otherwise, but like all it took was sort of one tackle (laughs) and one hit ruck to realize Ah, okay, you're back. You can do this, yeah, and like I, I did that in the pre, I did that in the preseason game up at Ulster, and from then it was like, okay, you're back now. You can get over that sort of speed bump. You got the taste. You got the taste again, didn't you? <laughs> hey, you got that taste. I would have been going the other way. It was, <laughs> <laughs> I like I'm only, like I, I've been pretty good with my blood. Like, you know, bar bar a broken arm. Like it was sort of once I got back here, I sort of. I got shot. I got a sniper in the knee um, in the lead up to a game, which gave me surgery one year. Then exactly a year to the day in my second year back here on the second stint, I had surgery on the same knee, but they only kept me out for about three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. And then this season has been really up and down. Um, but like literally just gluing myself back together. Um, I, I plan to play 25 games so I could hit 200, but I was nowhere near it. I think it's the first season I haven't played over... 23 games in a season like up here in Leinster right. and uh, mate I was pushing I was pushing 12 games max I think <laughs> mate I don't think that detracts at all from uh, what you've offered that club is I, I wanted to know because when you went to to Leinster it was after a rather protracted appeal around international eligibility uh, but they got 
real value out of you because you were able to play so much club rugby. One, one of the questions that, that fans have asked this week uh, since we published uh, our, our feature on you, mate, was why did you not pursue more internationals uh, with Fiji? Was it about your commitments to the club that you'd signed a specific agreement or was it just that you felt that, that international rugby's door was shut to you? Yeah, I, you know, I, I just, I didn't really, like, I, I had no, no special clause whatsoever. I just knew that when I was, when I signed with Chicks, uh, Michael Checker at the time, like, I think the most important time um, a foreigner comes, you know, into his, into the limelight in a season up here is during the international windows mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. you know, it's no different to during, November internationals this season and Six Nations, we're losing between 17 and 21 players from our squad. Um, and that's when the likes of myself, Scott Fardy, James Lowe, Jamison Gibson-Park, that's when we sort of uh, can can get the opportunity to lead pretty much. And that's, and that's sort of why I signed with Czechs. You know, I, I just shook his hand in a cafe in Mount Eden and we sort of agreed that, you know, this was the way it was going to go in 2000 and was way back in 2008 mm. and uh, I just I just I just gave by all to the club you know I came here and just bought into the culture and then enjoyed it and just stayed here I didn't really have a I didn't really have a massive urge to go back and play international rugby because I was enjoying club rugby so much. Well, and that's what marks you as as different in so many ways, yeah. though, doesn't it, Ace? Uh, you know, you you've always committed to the teams you've signed with or that you've played for, and it's it's always been about commitment. Would you would you call yourself an extremely loyal person? Yeah, hundred percent. Like a really, it's it'd be one of my sort of core values that I try and you know promote on a daily basis is the loyalty and you know, you know I want to I want to sit back in 10 years time and and have a beer with the guys that were the loyal to the cause that I was involved with and you know there was some you know, there was some great times you know we was a uh, you know I think guys like Rocky Elson came and went uh, Nathan Hines came and went we had Brad Thorne here for four months who were just just absolute keys to certain years um, but then there's also the guys that have been here you know one man clubs um Gordon Darcy, Drico, uh, Shane Horgan. These guys played 16 years for a club, and I just don't think we. I could just rock up here and do two years and bugger off. Like, you know, I sort of told myself we'll just buy into the culture, um, you know, sort of give everything you can. And it's it's no different to sort of the way I sort of prepared for the Blues in Auckland, you know. I was asked to go to Fiji back then, but I said, no, nah, like Super Rugby and the Blues is my number one priority. That's what I signed for. Um, and it was no different coming up here to Ireland. I mean, is there? I mean, obviously, you spent a lot of time here back in New Zealand as well. In the time that you did come back um, as a as a coach, um, did you see much difference in uh, the Blues environment compared to what, what you say? You know, the, the loyalty that they do have over at, at Leinster, and particularly, um, you know, and, and in Ireland, did you see much sort of things changing a little bit? Because, you know, compared to when you were back and playing for the Blues and for Auckland, things have, I suppose, changed a heck of a lot. And I'm, I'm sure you still keep a keen eye on it. Yeah, yeah, massively, man. Like I, I can't stress the importance of how you know success follows after the culture is set and yeah. and the identity of a club. And like I, I'd freely admit I'd do anything I could to c- contribute to the getting the Blues their identity and their 
and their culture back. But if that isn't right, then mm. I just don't think anything good can happen. Um, and that's what sort of annoyed me. You know, I was, just, you know, I was, I was Auckland born and raised, you know, mm. so it meant a lot to me. But then you sort of got back there and there was so many different things wrong with the place that, um, yeah, there was, the success was never going to come. It just wasn't. There was just too many little things wrong um, across the board. So, you know, if you if you started like at the building blocks of, you know, of any leadership or good teams, you know, the the culture gets built first, and we just didn't have a have a solid base, and uh, and the noise still annoys the crap out of me. So <laughs> maybe I'll get a chance to look at that one day. Yeah, I, I remember that time for you, East, and I remember how um, how despairing it was for you because I knew how passionate you were about coming back and and making that difference. So I want to I want to get back to Leinster though, but. Uh, because you've played with some of the all-timers there, mate, and uh, here's the thing, and, and you'll hate me saying this, but um, they have blown enough smoke up your ass to give you bowel cancer over the last couple of weeks. And, um, you know, <laughs> and uh, this is the thing about you. It, it doesn't matter how big a name they are or even what club they played for up there. To a man, uh, you are roundly praised. Uh, Brian O'Driscoll oh, yeah. has been very forthright in his praise for you. You mentioned uh, Gordon Darcy before. Uh, as well, Johnny Sexton, all of them say that you made them better players. Has that been something that you have focused on in your career, the uh, role of you as the generous provider for your teammates? <laughs> you can, You don't have to be humble all the time. You can take, take some credit here. <laughs> Look, I don't know. Look, all I, I saw Dricker on the Wednesday before of last week. Um, we're at a do together, and he just, we we're talking about how, you know, he knew physically his body was done. And I was like, oh, I sort of, I sort of knew myself mentally at the start of the season. I was like, this, this generation of kid has changed. Like, this change room has changed. I genuinely, don't understand many of the jokes going on. So I knew I was on my way out, but I blew my calf in the fourth minute and Drico only lasted about 10 to 12 minutes in his final game, which they won. They won the pro 12. Mm. And I, all I could do for the, after that four minutes was going, I have to be Drico here. I cannot come off. So I kept my eye on this game clock and I was not coming off the field. I pushed, tried to push it out to 20 minutes, but it was only about 1854, I think. Um, uh, <laughs> like me and Drico, we're going to chat again later at the end of this week, so I'm, I'm going to get one up on him there. Um, oh, look, I don't know. It's <laughs> I'm pretty old school. Like rugby's a team game. Like I don't really care who gets who gets the who gets the tries or what. Like as long as we're winning, man, doesn't really nothing really fussed. I wasn't really fussed about any of that carry on. Again, I don't know. I don't, I'm not on social media, so I don't see all that carry on. Yeah, I know. That's why you're hard to get hold of these days. That's for sure. <laughs> now, um, I'm going to wrap this up, mate, because uh, I know you've got better things to be doing than talking to me. And also, um, you got to come back and call the Auckland Grammar game with me this year anyway. So uh, that's, I do. Yeah, I do. So, I've seen that. So yep. you'll, you'll be back for that. Now, listen, here's the thing, Isa. You've won four major European Cups, plus an Amlin Challenge Cup, plus three league titles, plus the Ranfurly Shield, plus NPCs with Auckland. Which of your many, many, many titles stands out for you as your favourite? Oh. My time in Leinster would definitely be this double Mm. that we've just done just because – from the time 
that we got back here and what we had to invest to change the culture and change the shape of the club and the evolution of it. This, I felt like I contributed more in the last three years than I probably did in the five that we we were part of the golden era, if you want to call that. So the last two weeks have been pretty special. Um, but in Auckland, I definitely have to say the 2005 MPC because it was just hands down the greatest celebrations I've ever had. And I think I was handcuffed to Brent Ward for about three days, which my wife reminds me to never go back to those times. Um, and it was just such a great, it was a, sorry, it was, it was just such a great time. Like the whole group in that 2005 team all played together, all still get along really well, all grew up together. And it was just, a bloody good time, and dare I say, it was a bit of the old school days of how things that used to, all the carry on that used to go on. So that's pretty memorable too. Millsy's Millsy's nodding his head here in in agreement uh, with you. He's he's nodding. What? Yeah, it was. He's an, he's another old schooler. It was like good you. times. <laughs> yeah, it was good times. I won't lie. Uh, it was uh, it was Brent Waters at absolute best. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. <laughs> you got to stay away from that man. He hasn't got any better since you've been back in Ireland. I can assure you of that. <laughs> hey, uh, Issa, mate, uh, nice, it, it, nice. it remains to be said. Congratulations again, buddy. Uh, we're, we're extremely proud of you, and uh, we know that uh, you deserve to be uh, held in the same esteem as uh, as many of the other greats of yeah. your generation, yeah. buddy. So, congratulations on all you've achieved. Uh, uh, cheers, cheers, Millsy. Cheers so much. Cheers, bro. Issa Nathie with you joining us from uh, Dublin. Uh, yeah, what a, what a couple of weeks. Oh, man. It couldn't be, I mean, it, it couldn't have happened to a, a better bloke. I mean, yeah, you've spoken about um, his, what, two or so minutes for Fiji. And I remember at that time, you know, Issa, Issa was like, he was like coming through, um, you know, I just um, was in the All Blacks then and I was thinking, you know, when you look around and there's guys that could easily, you know, go on to make um, the All Blacks, he was definitely one of them. And I suppose it was, um, you look if you'd look back at it now, it's probably a decision that perhaps, um, oh, I don't know, would, uh, um, you know, Peeve him off a little bit because I reckon he would have he would have definitely been an All Black the following year. Yeah, I I mean I think so, and and I know I've spoken to Easter about this in the past, and and I think there were probably moments when he was younger mm. where where there was some regret. Yeah, and and there were some people who responded to to my column this week on Easter. Oh, why didn't he play more for Fiji? He could have offered Fiji plenty. I I think he oh, answered man. that. Yeah, that that's what he was. <laughs> right. 
you know, and there was a there was a time when when he was young. Remember, he was twenty when he yeah. when he played that two minutes in the two thousand three World Cup final, uh, World Cup against Scotland. And I think there were times where he thought, yeah, I want to advance. I want to advance. I want to play international rugby. But he was able to just to put that aside yeah. and say, no, what I will be is the greatest club man I can be. And the the fact is, he probably won't be held in the same regard as as the Carters yourselves and the Tony Woodcocks and the Brian O'Driscolls and all those others who've had the chance to play tier one international rugby. But I put to you, Millsy, that there'd be no player who would begrudge him the honour of being held in the same esteem. Oh, I'll tell you what, there'll be players that know, well, you know, uh, international players that will say that he's he is right up there. Yeah, amongst the public, he, he perhaps won't be because he didn't play as much, uh, well, he only played one international game. But in terms of the rugby playing guys, the, the, well, you look at the O'Driscolls, you know, the Carters, That's and right. that, he'll be the one guy you'd say, you know, he's right up there. Mm. And so, I mean, his answer to that, I mean, you got to remember in 2003, the rules were slightly a little bit iffy about um, whether you could play international rugby or not. You know, I, I actually probably was one of the last. I played for Samoa in the sevens, but because I was an 18-year-old, I was eligible to still be, um, be an all-black. Now, if I had got that wrong, I, yeah. I wouldn't have been been able to play for the all-blacks. Now, and that was the time it was, this sort of stuff was carrying on. So you can understand, you know, that, um, you know, where Issa was. Perhaps he thought he was going to, um, that the rules were still a little bit changed. But his answer to not playing international, I mean, that's massive for a guy to go over to Ireland and sort of really buy into the fact. And, and he said it, you know, and those international windows. He's right. That's when the big, um, the big international guy, the, the big sort of sort of um, not local guys. That's right. Have to step up. Yeah. And he's done that for what ten or eight or so years, eight, eight, ten years. That's right. And he's massive. And and for those people that haven't been over to Dublin and watched Leinster play, he is an absolute god in that city. Absolute God, and um, and that, that's why because he's absolutely loyal. Um, he plays with his with his heart on his sleeve, and he's just committed to the cause. You know. Yep. Yep. No, he's a champ. That is for sure. Look, um, we've got to move on to uh, the Springboks team was announced um, last night, night before, um, and wonderful news. Sia Colisi, captain of the Stormers, being named uh, the first ever Black South African captain. He's there on merit, for starters. He is an outstanding leader and an outstanding player. And, you know, I think that's important um, for the traditional viewer of South African rugby to know that you have an outstanding leader there, regardless of of race, creed or culture. Sia Khaleesi's story is an incredible story of coming from nothing to be revered by all in this game. And it's a uniquely South African story. And I think that this could be a genuine turning point for the race ructions that continue to plague South African rugby. I hope it is. What do you think the announcement of Sia as captain will do for the Springboks and for their fans and for the tensions that remain unresolved <laughs> in the sport? Oh, look, I think it will go a long way. I, th- I think it will go a long way into to hopefully settling, settling down some of those tensions. You've, you've just mentioned it, Summer. First and foremost, he is the out and out, you know, he deserves to be there, the, the best player in that position. And then, you know, we, we spoke about it before we came on, you know, that uh, he was destined to become uh, a leader one, one day. And now he is the, the uh, the Springboks captain and so it ticks all the boxes it ticks the facts that yes he deserves his position so he's not part of the uh, the quota that has to be out there what you'd call it and secondly he's an 
out and out um, good man and, and 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 a great leader, and he's shown that in the past with the um uh, with the Stormers. So I think it is. It will go a long way into hopefully um you know settling those tensions. Yeah, it's, obviously, I'm my mother's South African, and and you know I spent a year in, in South Africa in 1995 of all years, which um, from a rugby point of view for South Africa was a pretty big year. And uh, you know I had the pleasure of attending a, a wonderful school called Woodridge College in the East Cape, just outside Port Elizabeth. It was a mixed race private Anglican school, one of the pioneers of its type in South Africa, and. I remember watching that World Cup final in 1995 and thinking I'm ready to go and fly the Kiwi flag from the flagpole <laughs> after this. And, of course, Joel Stransky had other ideas. Yeah. Um, and I remember walking into the dining hall. And yeah, bearing in mind, this is 1995. This is 23 years ago, whatever it is, 24 years ago. And I walked into the dining hall, and, and I'll never forget this. The whole school stood up and sung Shusha Loza, which was South wow. Africa's theme song for yeah. the tournament. And I think they would have sung that for 20 minutes until I had uh, half ingested the terrible spaghetti bolognese that was on offer that night. But I will never forget it. I will never forget that moment, nor will I forget the next six months of my life there, Mm. where this country had an incredible outpouring of harmony, understanding, Uh, jubilation, uh, the uh, the outlook of a rainbow nation. mm. And I despair somewhat at what has happened since I spent that very formative year there, and especially in regards to rugby, which seems now to be back mired in the same race concerns that troubled the nation. And and I wish it weren't so, because if I think back to 1995 and how clear that memory is for me and what rugby had done for the country then and for racial harmony then... I just think to myself, where have we gone wrong again? How, yeah. how have we gone backwards? And, and that to me is what gives me so much hope about someone like Sia being named captain because yeah. it reminds me of how beautiful that moment was for that country and the power of sport to overcome. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing what you know a game of rugby can do or a sport can do to such a nation. Um, it has gone a bit, what has gone backwards since then and um, unfortunately – for whatever sort of reasons, political or um, I suppose uh, race um, issues. But you're right, with Sia being there now, now hopefully that'll bring it back. And you've got to actually, if you look at it too, Sumo, I mean, I think we'll get into a stage now, uh, you know, there was often sort of uh, a bit of bickering because, um, you know, they had to have a certain amount of black black, um, players in the team. But you're actually seeing those players are now starting to stand up. So there is merit for them to actually be there. Whereas before, perhaps you'd go, well, you know, there's there's a guy sitting on the bench, um, you know, that deserves to be there ahead of him because he's simply a better player. Now we're actually seeing a lot of those um, guys. Players coming forward and taking those positions. Taking those positions. And and why are we seeing that? Because we've had policies in place of inclusion that allow these players the game time that's invaluable to make them, to take them from promising players to first-choice starters. Mm. I think it's remarkable to watch South African rugby teams now and see the spread of culture, the spread of race throughout those sides and every one of them standing up and adding to teams. You know, the, the, this is the reality of – I'm not going to lecture here and, and I know South Africans hate being lectured on on their politics and their society and I'm, I'm not intending to do that, no. um, even though I, I have a pretty strong connection to the country. What I'm trying to say is that, yeah, we can only hope – 
the South African rugby gets better through this and yep. stronger. And uh, I think Sia will add that togetherness that that I believe has been missing for a long time. I no doubt. I no no doubt believe they will get better. I, I definitely believe they will get better um, having this and um, you know having a man of such stature. He's he's an incredible person. I've never met him, but the things that you hear amongst the players is a sensational human. Millsy, we've got to move on from Springboks to All Blacks. Um, an extraordinary week, I found it uh, from an All Black point of view. Uh, first of all, going right back to the team naming, where after the team was named, um, Steve Henson chose to say Brad Shields probably would have made the All Blacks had he not decided to go to England, which I, I found an extraordinary thing to say. Uh, and I know why, because the message Steve Hansen was trying to send is that for all you young players singing a jumping ship, <laughs> don't do it. So, I mean, it was a party political broadcast on behalf of New Zealand rugby. But but I, I felt very sorry for Brad Shields, so I don't think needed to be thrown under the bus like that at the time, because uh, I just, I, I don't know, that just stuck in my craw, that comment. This week... After the first All Black camp and some of the coaches grumbling that uh, it was very disruptive leading into what is a crucial game of Super Rugby, Jordan Talfua injured, Tim Perry injured from a Crusaders point of view alone. Mark Hammett has come out and said, you know, it's very disruptive having these camps. They're in another one at the moment. I know that the Crusaders feel that it's very disruptive. We know that Chris Boyd feels like it's very disruptive. We, We can only assume... Dana feels it's kind of disruptive, <laughs> although he's probably got a few less players to worry about than most. Um, and the only one who's come out and is really comfortable with is Colin Cooper at the Chiefs, or at least outwardly he's comfortable with it. Steve Hansen then says, oh, no need to be sulky sallies. And, and I'm not taking him out of context here. I know he wasn't calling anyone specifically a sulky sally, but he was making the point of you just got to get on board. We've all agreed to this and, and stop your complaining. How do you feel about the all-black coach Taking players out of a round-robin competition for camps in the first place, but then saying to people who are just being honest and saying it is disruptive, shooting down those comments. <laughs> oh, look, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm of the opinion that they need they need the players out in some way. You know, you've got the, obviously you've got the uh, Steinlager series coming out, and there's there's an obvious need for those guys to get into camp and start. Preparing, you can't come into a test series and prepare. You know, name the team and then prepare that week and lead into a into a first sort of game against the French of a three test series. Did right? You, did you ever do that in your career? Yes, I did. <laughs> and and we suck. <laughs> we abs and I was captain of that. We lost the first test and then we were just under the pumps from then there on then. So mm. I, I I understand where um, Shag's coming from and I know and when you when you've spoken to them at the beginning of the season the the um. Uh, the coaches, I think we're getting to, at the stage now where you know that that table is so close. Um, and yes, the, the the franchises are under the pump a little bit because they need to actually perform. They need some of their big time players, unless you're the Crusaders who can just roll in anyone. Um, and so you feel you feel a little bit for them. But and I'm, I'm kind of um, you know leaning towards what um, what Steve's saying. They need those All Blacks sort of um, you know on the job because you can't you absolutely cannot prepare for uh, for a test match the week of after naming a squad okay and that is a perfectly reasonable assessment and and I don't disagree that that you want time to prepare and that the yeah. all blacks are a big deal but my point is that what the language used here is to say the all blacks are so much more important mm. than anything else going on in our game and it's saying 
our needs are more important than your needs as the coach of this <laughs> super rugby team. And whether that's fair or not, that's just the way it sounds to me. Now, if I'm Scott Robertson or Mark Hammond or Aaron Major or Chris Boyd, my sh- my ass is on the oh, line yeah, yeah. on my results in super rugby. Yeah. My ass is not on the line because of what the All Blacks do. Yeah. I am paid by a franchise via New Zealand Rugby to coach this team and get the best result I possibly can, hopefully a title. And these sorts of moments to those coaches are very important moments leading into big derby clashes with their key players out for another team. I think that while they all say, yes, we need to paddle the waka for those internationalists, the canoe the same way, and by and large they do, purely because they've got no choice, I think there's still a point where you have to have some empathy for their plight as well as the coaches of the five teams from which you are picking your players from. Yeah, I def- definitely have some empathy for a, for a lot of well, all the Super, super Rugby franchise coaches because you're right, at the end of the day, their ass is on the line, you know. If they don't perform, if they don't make the the playoffs, or uh, this and that, and yeah, the, they the, get sacked. They're gone. They're, I mean, yeah, they, they, they literally are. But yeah, I mean, you got to look at it now too, man. How how important is uh, how you recruit now? You go Massive. right back, and and that's why you look at the guys like the Crusaders, and, and they've obviously thought about this. They've been sat down and, and had a good discussion with the coaches or the All Black coaches and things, and then they've gone away and thought, well, at this certain time, you know, we need to start um, not only recruiting well, but making sure everyone is on the same boat. And when we lose these players, similar to what Issa was saying, that these other guys are going to be able to, to to stand up, and so that's that's. When we talk about great teams, that's why the likes of um, the great coaches, the, the, the Scott Robinson, the um, you know uh, Brad Moore, the, the you know Chris Boyd's of the world, and then uh, the Aaron Majors and that, and and well, that's why they're so good because they've obviously thought outside the square and thought these are the most important times because we are going to lose these players. And it's so critical at the beginning of the year. Okay. But I definitely agree with you, Sumo. You know, their asses are on the line. And, man, I wouldn't be able to do it. I wouldn't be able to sit there and go, mate, I'm I'm under the pump here. Yeah. And I'm going to let, even though I've just said that it's okay, I'm going to let Steve Hansen take my players. Yeah, I, I can. Un- all, all I'm saying is I can understand the grumbling, and uh, I think we all need to be a little bit more cognizant of the demands of everyone in this situation, rather than just saying, "Hey, it's all about the All Blacks and and nothing else matters." So, you know, I find I find that laughable. We've got a competition <laughs> that goes for 19 weeks. It's pretty important too. Millsy, we're going to round out the pod today. What? Gee, we've covered some topics. Um, producer Ellis, you um, you had something to say about Millsy's tipping uh, ability last week? Ah, uh, yeah, I think I'm. Um I think I'm off the bandwagon there. Yeah. Of of the Oracle yeah. Express. Why? Because you picked the Canes last week. Yeah. I did not pick the Canes. I picked the Crusaders. You picked the Canes. You picked the Canes. Producer Ellis would know. Did I pick the Canes? You picked the Canes. Now yeah. I, I picked the I must have picked the Canes here, then went to the uh, to the studio there on, on the on Team Talk and picked the Crusaders. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you did. That's because that's you, isn't well, it? What sort of Oracle that's, am I? Covering your bases, are you? Yeah, just, mate. Hey. Just take that pick it, it out now. between your crack, for God's sake. Now, Milzy, the pod lives and dies on your ability to pick winners. Oh, mate. Because, I mean, it's shit chat from me. So the only reason Do people are Do we get some abuse, have we? Have we been given it up? No, only from Alice, Just from actually. me, yeah. <laughs> no, Just yeah. from me. I don't want Alice to lose hope. She's she's stuck with us for an hour every week trying to put, this, enough, put this together. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of devastated because Alice idolised you up until last week. And you've, <laughs> and you've, you've really you've been... You've slept. In. You've slipped in the rankings. Let go. So... 
There's a chance to redeem yourself here. All right. And I only want to focus on two matches and two matches only. We haven't even mentioned the Hagwades, by the way. I love the Hagwades. Oh, man. Don't, don't oh, even wow. start me. That's, wow. a whole, that's a whole pot on its own. We'll get Frankie Dagos on to talk about them next week. Um, let's, let's go, first of all, the Highlanders hosting the Hurricanes. Mm. <laughs> by the way, our condolences to oh, yes. Aaron Major and, um, and Nathan Major and the rest of the Major family on the loss of their mum. Terrible... Um, Terrible to lose a parent. I've been there myself, but um, also I know that um, uh, massive at this time of the year for him as well, given everything that's going on. But um, he he will be focusing on family. Mark Hammett will have the team this week. So Hammett up against his old team, the Hurricanes, at Forsyth Bar Stadium, under the roof, dry weather rugby for those Canes, Millsy. Are you, are you doubling down? Yeah, I'm doubling up. There you go. You Alice, t- you did you take that? This, okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's going, yep. You're going Canes. Is that where you're going? Yes. <laughs> it's actually got to come out of your mouth. You've got to say something. Okay, Highlanders. Kane Highlanders? <laughs> the Highlanders. I'll go the Canes. I think the Canes will come back, dry with a rugby, and they'll be a whole lot better. All right. And uh, I don't even know why I'm going to ask you this because I kind of know which way you're going to lean. But um, FMG Stadium, Waikato. You've got to take – and you've got to take your mana hat off here and you've got to give me an honest assessment. This is this has become, I reckon, the greatest grudge match in the game. Chiefs and the Crusaders uh, hate each other. Uh, hate each other. Uh, yeah. I can't wait for this. This is Saturday night. Is it going to be Chiefs mana or is it going to be Crusaders? Oh, mate. Come on, yeah. Mate. The mana, mate. The mana. Are you taking note of this, Alex? Yeah. So you're yeah. picking the Hurricanes and Chiefs. Yeah. All right, Millsy. Two North Island teams this week. All right. And then next week, South Island teams. Next week. Oh, there isn't that, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Southern Hemisphere teams. Beat it, Mills. Mills Molina, Scotty Stevenson on the short ball, produced by producer Alice. Uh, we'll join you next week. In the meantime, make sure you check out all the action from this last round of Super Rugby before the June internationals. Right on rugbypass.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.